Yes, I hope you guys stayed warm. It sounds like most of you did, um, but uh, what a cold snap we had there. But um, yes, we're here to study the Word of God, and we're, we're going to take a little bit of a detour today, although it's going to be in the same spirit of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. We've been talking about the word sufficiency or sufficient, and we started this mini-series on this idea of sufficiency, and we first spoke about our Lord Jesus Christ and His sufficiency. Last week, we started talking about the sufficiency of the Word of God, and we want to continue that here today, but sometimes the Holy Spirit has other plans, does He not? And sometimes, as a pastor, you have to just listen to what the Spirit is is telling you to do, and so that's what this past week looked like. I had a part two of my series from last week that I was just going to pick up and carry on, and the Holy Spirit said, you're not going to be doing that, Todd. You're going to go do something different. So I listen. When the Holy Spirit speaks, I listen. So today it's going to be in the same spirit of this idea of the sufficiency of the Word of God. Uh, But we're going to call today's lesson the Great Upgrade. The Great Upgrade. Before we get there, I'm going to bump back here. Before we get there, if you remember last week, I also did something. I began the service by picking a bone with some things. And uh, I feel the need to pick more bones this morning. (laughs) And uh, I have to preface this by saying this. I, I understand that my wife had a baby this past week, okay? And I'm about to complain about some things here. I do not want anyone coming up to me at the end of the service saying, are you kidding me? You don't know what pain and suffering is like. Your wife is the one who really suffered. I, I understand that. I am not comparing my little nitpicking here to anything my wife went through. So don't come after me with the pitchforks and the torches. These are just jokes. Okay, my wife signed off on these jokes. But I would like to pick a bone with some things about the hospital. If that's okay. I want to pick a bone with hospital furniture. Stop being such a company man, furniture. Making me sit on your uncomfortable furniture and injuring my back so I have to stay at the hospital. Hospital furniture. I'm I'm going to pick a bone with hospital TVs. Nobody needs four home shopping networks. Especially when we're already broke from the medical bills. Although I will say this, I'm grateful for the Family Matters marathon they gave me. It had been a while since I saw Urkel. So thank you, hospital TVs. I want to pick a bone with hospital toilets. That's right. I don't need you being that loud, hospital toilets, and trying to suck me down your whirlpool vortex. Why don't you try flushing like a normal toilet without giving me a panic attack every time I flush and waking up my new baby girl? I want to pick a bone with hospital hallways. You guys ever had to walk through a hospital hallway? They need to stop acting like some crazy labyrinth or corn maze and just tell me where the coffee shop is so I can get some caffeine and fill my bladder up and use your toilets all over again. <laughs> Not just hospital, though. I want, to pick a, I want to pick a bone with some other things. I want to pick a bone with wind chill. You guys ever heard of this thing called wind chill? We get it. You're colder than the actual temperature. But nobody asked you what you feel like, wind chill. Just tell me it's cold outside so I can wear a hat and my long johns, okay, and move about your life. I want to pick a bone with icicles. When did icicles become the Freddy Krueger of winter, (laughs) trying to kill me every time I step outside to get the mail? Just calm down and be pretty like the rest of the snow on my roof, okay? I also want to pick a bone with seat warmers. Anyone have those in their car? Seat warmers. Why are the only choices frostbite and sitting on lava? (laughs) Just warm my seat a little bit and move on your way, seat warmers. I want to pick a bone with windshield wipers. 
windshield wipers. With your constant squeaking, you make more noise than my kids at bedtime. I don't need a running commentary about how much ice and snow is in your way. Just stay quiet and cleanse the windshield, please. I'm going to pick a bone with wet spots on my floor. Anyone experience this? Wet spots on the floor? Every time I take my boot off, you attack me with your cold wetness. I have to go through 20 socks a week thanks to cold wetness on my floor. And last of all, but not least of all, I want to pick on, pick a bone with a North Country. The entire North Country. I get it. You got snow. You definitely got cold. You got hiking, you got skiing, and you got Mount Washington. But you still lied about the moose. And I won't forget it until you deliver one to my backyard like you promised. I had to pick a bone. I told you there's a little place for humor today. I hope that's okay. But today we're going to talk about upgrade. We're going to talk about an upgrade. And I think that's important because we're going to get that from the Word of God. And I think it's a, it's a lesson we're all going to be inspired and encouraged by, especially after what we've been facing together. But as I mentioned last week, we talked about the sufficiency of God's Word. And I, I gave you five questions to help you figure out, is God's Word sufficient. And we went through three of these. We talked about the authority of God's word, the power of God's word. We talked about the wisdom of God's word. And we showed that based on what the scriptures teach, those things are very, very evident in scripture. And therefore, if they are evident, then God's word is sufficient. But we left two um, that we didn't, we weren't able to get to. And that was the purpose of God's word and the benefit of God's word. And my hope and my plan was to simply pick up where I left off, but we're going to go a little bit different direction. Although, I would like to start this way with the purpose. What is the purpose of the Word of God? Why do we do it this way? Why do we center our entire ministry around the Word of God? Well, I want to show you a couple passages of Scripture that give us an answer to that question about this purpose of the Word of God. From Psalm 119.105, the psalmist says this. He says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen? Where are we without God's word? We're in darkness. And when you're in darkness, if you've ever been in pure darkness, your options are very limited. You guess. You guess where things are. If you've ever walked into a dark room and been too lazy to hit the light switch on, like I am sometimes, you end up hitting your knee on a coffee table or stubbing your toe because when you, don't, when you cannot see, you end up making a guess. And when you guess, you are often wrong. Well, God's word lights our path, doesn't it? It shows us where to go. It shows us how to navigate in this dark, dark world we live in. So one of the purposes of God's word is simply to shed light upon our minds and hearts. But here's another one from Jesus himself in Matthew 4.4. Jesus answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Do you know who he told that to? Satan. When Satan said, why don't you make these stones into bread? And Jesus' response is, man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by the word of God. The word of God is what nourishes our soul, isn't it? We can get nourished physically from food, but we cannot nourish our souls with anything except the word of God. So today we are going to nourish our souls with the word of God, and we're going to seek to light our path. But we're going to call today's lesson the great upgrade, okay? Anyone like upgrades? It depends, right? It depends. Maybe if you're getting one of those upgrades for your computer, 
software that takes nine hours to get that done. Um, sometimes upgrades are not great, but we're going to talk about the great upgrade because I think it's a really encouraging passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites. But we like new stuff, do we not? We like when we get new stuff, generally speaking. Here's a few pictures of new things. Remember that first time you got that new Blackberry? Guys, think back. <laughs> think back to when you got that new Blackberry in 2004 and how special that was. Or that time you got one of those, do you see those commercials where you get a brand new car for Christmas? A Mercedes with a bow on it. Has that ever, ever, ever happened to anybody? <laughs> ever? Anyone you know? Um, or you get a new hairstyle, right? That's always a fun thing when you get a new hairstyle. I was given a permanent hairstyle. And so, uh, but a new hairstyle is fun. Or sometimes you get a new baby, like we did this past week. And sometimes you get a whole new state with the word new in it. <laughs> New Hampshire, like we did just a few months ago. Sometimes you get an upgrade, right? And upgrades are generally a positive thing. But sometimes you get a really profound upgrade that changes your whole life. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to contrast tents and mansions. We are. We're going to talk about tents and mansions today because it comes right out of the Word of God. And before we do that, I want to discuss with you tents. Does anyone, before I get to that screen, does anyone, can anyone guess what a good tent goes for these days? If you had to guess, if you're going to buy a tent for a camping excursion, maybe someone has done this, how much would you expect a new tent to cost? A good one? Two fifty. Anyone else think higher, a little higher than that? Three hundred. It, that's a good question. It depends on the size of it. Well, I did a little Amazon search because that's kind of where we find everything now. And I was able to find a couple options. I don't know if you could see that here, but we got, we got kind of a spectrum here of tents. Up here, a four-and-a-half-star tent for $400. That was right in, the, right in the, the line of what people were saying. $400 can get you a good tent. Looks like a one- or two-person tent there on Amazon. If you want a bigger one, it looks like a hunting tent. Look at that one there. $1,500 for a big tent. And uh, you can hunt in that tent. Not in that tent. That would be weird. You can hunt... <laughs> By using that tent, let's, let's say that correctly. It would be weird if you hunted in that tent. Here's another one, another cheap one here, four and a half star for 60 bucks. 60 bucks. Does that look like a tent you'd want to go camping in? Maybe not. Maybe in your backyard, right, for one of those s'mores things you do. But, and then at the bottom, here's a really impressive tent for $2,700. It's called a hot tent with stove jack. Camping, hunting, ice fishing, outfitter, yurt, all kinds of stuff, bells and whistles. For $2,700. And so you can tell tents, depending on what you're looking for, take several hundred or thousands of dollars. Well, what about a mansion? Before we get to this, what, what, what would your guess be about a mansion? If you're going to buy a mansion, what do you expect it to cost? What's it? Two million. That's a good guess. Starting at two million? Anyone higher or lower? Two million's a good guess. What's that? That's a really good question. A really good question. We're going to find out that matters a lot. Uh, actually, I, I did a little research. Based on the survey that I found, the average starting price for a luxury home, they call it, is around $2 million. Good guess, Heather. I just looked at one in Italy, and I wish I had the money. No kidding. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess they range from 750000 in other markets like Durban and South Africa, but an astounding $8 million if you want to live there in Beverly Hills. So if you want a mansion in Beverly Hills, it's going to cost you $8 million million. But what about New Hampshire? 
Well, I looked it up, and I don't know where the mansion line is between what size you have to have to be considered a mansion, but I found some prices here. If we are find a 5,000-square-foot home, we can pay around 200000 If you go all the way up to 8,000 square feet, you're going to be paying somewhere in the network of three to $400,000 here in New Jersey. So tents, what's that? Sorry, New Hampshire, no. Nobody cares about New Jersey here. I live by New Jersey. Nobody cares about New Jersey. Get that right out. In fact, I tried to crop that out, and I couldn't. New Hampshire. New Hampshire is what we're talking about. So if you want, to, if you want a mansion in New Hampshire, you're still going to need a chunk of change, but not quite $2 million. Well, I want to do a little comparison here, okay? We got tents, and there's a point to this, people. And you got mansions. And that's kind of a weird comparison, is it not? But tents, we just kind of discovered it. If you want a really good tent, you're probably in the line of somewhere around $1,500 if you want a really good one. And mansions, if you want to talk generically, they're probably going to cost you somewhere in the ballpark of $1.5 million. And if I did my math correct, tents and mansions are about 1,000 times different than each other. Okay, so... A tent can cost you $1,500. A mansion can cost you about $1.5 million. But what if we did about size? And again, these are, these are rough estimates, okay? But if the size of a tent was... Bear with me, okay? I'm, I'm doing this for a point. Let's say it's 10 feet for a basic tent just to get through the camping trip, get through the weekend, and we're taking our 1,000 times math, okay? We got a possibly a 10,000 square foot mansion. Okay, if you would live in a tent for, let's say... 30 days using our math, you could get maybe 30,000 days in a mansion, which I believe is 80-some years. You get the point, okay? Mansions are a lot better than tents. Okay? Lesson over. No, of course not. Why am I comparing tents and mansions? Well, there is a point to this, because the Word of God does. In 2 Corinthians 5, one of my favorite passages, Paul decides to use a metaphor. And he's going to compare and contrast two things that really have no business being compared and contrasted. But he's going to, and it's going to be a really powerful point. Because Paul says this at verse 1. He says, we know, and you have to understand, he's talking to a church in Corinth, okay? So this is a church of Christ followers. People that say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Paul says, therefore, we, Christ followers, know. We have proven, we have tested, we believe that if our tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. Now that's kind of a somber start to the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You have a tent. The tent is your earthly home, according to this metaphor, and it's destroyed. Now has anyone gone camping and ever had this happen? Um, it looks like something tragic happened there, like a big bear or something, but... But I want you to picture this. I want you to picture you go camping with your family and your friends, and you're out there, and there's a wind like we had these past couple days, and the wind takes it right down. Or maybe even worse, some animal comes and knocks it down. Or, thank you, Joel. Or the obvious, your eight kids decide, decide to knock it down and have some fun. Either way, your tent is, is ruined. Your camping trip is ruined. Now, that's a, that's a sad event, is it not? When you set up your camp, you're ready to have fun and camp and, and do s'mores and do the whole thing, and then suddenly something knocks your tent down. And that's exactly what Paul is picturing here. He says, we know that if our tent 
And again, he's using a metaphor. He's not talking about a literal tent. Although Paul, interestingly enough, do you know how he made some of his money? He was a tent maker. That's right. He provided for himself by making tents. So Paul has a little bit of expertise about tents that he's going to use here. And he says that if our tent, that is our earthly home, now he could be picturing whatever home you live in. Maybe a house or an apartment. Whatever home you're living, maybe that's what Paul is picturing. We know that if our tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, but I don't think so. I don't think he's talking about the, the dwelling place, physical dwelling place that we live in. He could be. But I think more, more than likely, Paul is talking about our body. And he calls it a tent. He says this tent that we live in, that is our earthly home, if it is destroyed. And that sounds maybe like that's an insensitive thing to talk about today, but I think it's quite the contrary. I think if this goes right, if the Holy Spirit will help us today, this is the opposite. This is going to be a very sensitive and encouraging passage for all of us today. Because what Paul is telling us today is a reality. Tents fall down. Tents get destroyed. Tents are not permanent dwelling places, are they? They were never created to be permanent dwelling places. They were made for a camping trip. They were made for a couple weekends with your buddies. But if your tent is destroyed, and we'll come back to that, it's not devastating, is it? Not when you have a building from God. And this building from God is a house not made with hands. Anyone ever met one of those? (laughs) A house not made with hands? Well, we have a building from God that's not made with hands, and it's eternal in the heavens. Amen to that? Aren't you thankful that the tent isn't the end for your life? That you don't have to live out the rest of your eternity in a flimsy tent? I'm thankful for that. Now, in this this illustration, this tent is destroyed, and that's sad. But it's not devastating, because we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And this is a physical picture of a mansion or a castle that I was able to find online, and this doesn't represent it perfectly, but I want you to now think about a mansion. A big, comfortable mansion, a secure mansion that you own, that is your house. Now, if you're going camping with your friends and your family, and it doesn't go well, the the weather's bad, an animal knocks your, your tent down, maybe your eight kids do it, Either way, you had a bad weekend. It's a sad event, but not when you can just walk back, drive back to your building. It's not devastating because you own a house. You own a big, secure, comfortable home to live in. He says that we know that if our tent that is earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, and this is a promise. Eternal in the heavens. And I think, Pastor Mark, what's been happening with Pastor Mark is proving this passage. As sad as it is, tents fall down. Tents were not made to house us for the rest of eternity. In fact, I don't know. We were talking earlier before the service. I don't know how the world does it without God. I don't know how they live. They live in a tent. And one day that tent is going to be destroyed. And if that is where the period is, that's a devastating piece of news. Because there's no hope beyond the tent falling down. But not for Christians. 
not for Christ followers, not who, though, for those who give their lives to Jesus. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And Pastor Mark, as sad as it is for us and for Cynthia and for their family, Pastor Mark's about to upgrade, isn't he? He's about to upgrade. We're not sad for Pastor Mark. We're sad for those he leaves behind. Pastor Mark is about to make the biggest upgrade of his life. He's going to go from his tent to his building, not made with hands, by God himself that is eternal in the heavens. And therefore, Paul says something kind of odd. For in this tent, we groan. You guys ever wanted to get off a ride that you've been on? Maybe that wasn't going so well. A car ride, you were nauseous. Well, I once went on a ride. Here, I'll show you what a tent looks like. Um, this is a um, community of tents that I was able to find, which I believe is a homeless community. Um, and I was talking about the world a little bit. This is the concept that the world is facing. The world lives in a tent, and that's all they have. So they have to try to make their tent pretty and secure and, and last forever because it's all they have. But if you live in a tent, if that's your only home, people would consider you homeless. Because tents are not permanent dwelling places, are they? Tents were made to be temporary housings. And Paul says this, that while we're in our tent, excuse me, go, let me go back here. I want to show you this uh, picture of a ride that I was on one time. Um, yeah. I almost don't want to share it because you're going to get nauseated just sitting there. But I went on this ride at Cedar Point in Ohio. Anyone ever heard of that or been to Cedar Point in Ohio? Okay. All right. We've got a couple. It's a big amusement park. I guess one of the best in the country. Uh, I don't like amusement parks. Anyone else not really like amusement parks? I don't like lines. I don't like heat. Uh, I don't like bad, greasy food. I don't like nausea. Um, the list goes on and on. I'm not a big amusement park fan, but I went in 2009 because I was dating this girl named Janine. In fact, we were engaged at this point, and she was going with a bunch of her friends, so they all decided they were going to go to an amusement park, and I'm still at that stage where I'm trying to make a good impression uh, with my soon-to-be wife, and so I decided to say, yes, I will go to the amusement park with you and your friends, and that was a bad idea. Because although some of the rides were fun, I, I enjoyed some of the rides, the ones that are okay. And uh, we went on this ride called Max Air. I think there are two X's for some reason. Max Air. And it sounded really cool. It's like, wow, we need to go on Max Air. And this ride that we went on was, as you could tell, a, basically a big swing. You'd get in this big circle. You'd sit down. The harness comes over you. And they would swing you back and forth really high up in the air. Now, if that's where it ended, that ride would have been okay, but it didn't. Joel has the right idea back there. What did that little circle do while you're swinging back and forth? It went around and around and around. So if you need to step out for a moment and get your bearings, I understand. Um, there I am on max air, losing all of my insides. And I didn't actually let it out, but it, it, it was starting to come. And I kept thinking in the back of my mind, I cannot wait till this ride is over. I cannot wait to get off this stupid Max Air ride and get back on the ground where I belong. I'm like that guy when you get off the ride, you kiss the ground or so thankful to just be on the ground again. That's where I was. I was so nauseated. For the whole rest of the day, I couldn't get my equilibrium back. 
And I was so glad when that ride ended. Paul says this, while we are in this tent, we groan. In our tent, in our earthly body, we're groaning. And it's not that sinful groaning, like we're complaining and we're discontented. It's a natural groaning about someone who lives in a tent. We groan because we're burdened. Because we don't want to be unclothed. He's using another metaphor here. The point of getting off a bad ride is not death. Certainly, I wasn't suicidal on that ride. I just, I wanted a better situation. I wanted to get off that ride, get on my stable feet. And that's what Paul is saying. While we're in this tent, while we live in this body, this frail, fragile body, here in this broken, cursed, sinful world, we groan and we're burdened. But it's not because we want to be unclothed. No, on the contrary. We want to be further clothed. We want a better situation. God has put that inside each of us. Did you know that? God has made us to long and crave for eternity. God has made us that way. So when you long for something that is better and greater than what you have in this life, that is not bad. That's how God has designed us. He has designed us to not be able to be satisfied by anything in this world. And now that I'm in my 40s and my tent is starting to show its age a little bit, I'm starting to groan a little bit more. Anyone else starting to groan a little bit more? We're talking about birthdays earlier. I don't know, birthdays, once you're in your 40s, they're not cool anymore. And now they're just an unpleasant reminder that you're getting old and your, tail is getting, your, t- your tent is getting frail. And so I'm starting to groan more and more in this tent that I live in. But it's not because I'm suicidal. If I'm suicidal, something's wrong. It's not because I'm longing for death. What I'm really longing for is a better situation. I'm longing for my building. I'm longing for the presence of the Lord. I'm longing to be where I belong in the kingdom of heaven. So Paul says, while we're in this tent, we groan. But not that we'd be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is who? Do you see why it's not evil? God has designed us this way. He has designed us to not be contented living in this tent. We weren't designed to live in tents. We were designed to live in a building. Now, we are here in this tent, and that's on purpose, and we will circle back to why we're here in this tent. But we were never made to be here permanently. We were always made to be living with God in our eternal building, not made with hands. And so he's given us the spirit as a guarantee that this is one day going to be a reality. You are going to upgrade from your tent to your mansion one day. <laughs> I had to find a picture of death, of life swallowing up death, and I couldn't find one. It's, when you Google search, you can't find everything. So I had, <laughs> I had to get weird. And uh, I had to use my own metaphor. So I, I got some weird bird swallowing a fish. And, uh, but it shows you the concept of what we're talking about, right? We, we have life swallowing up death. That's what we're longing for. We don't want more death. We're not suicidal. We're not trying to just get off the ride and die. We are trying to upgrade. We are groaning because we want something better. And Paul says, well, that's great. Because one day, what is mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. And it's a guarantee from the God who designed you and who made you. And here's a better picture of that. Because this actually happened for our Lord Jesus Christ, did it not? 
We all know the gospel is about Jesus coming to this earth to die on a cross, which he did. Jesus died on the cross. He didn't kind of die. He didn't sort of die. He actually died. In fact, he was so dead they had to bury him. So Jesus went from the cross to the tomb, and there he laid for three days. Dead, they rolled the rock in front of the tomb, and it was over. And for those who were following him, it was a very confusing thing. Because they expected that Jesus was going to reign forever, and they were going to reign forever with him. And suddenly their captain, their leader, their savior just died. And was buried. And the rock was rolled in front of the tomb. And if that's where the story ends, we have no purpose being here today at all. Do we? That's the saddest tale you've ever heard of someone who's supposed to be the Messiah and the Christ and the Son of God. He dies, he's buried, and and it's over. But of course, that's not where it ends, is it? Because three days later, what happened? He arose from the grave, back to life. And even that wasn't enough, was it? What happened 40 days after that? He went from the cross to the grave, back to life, and 40 days later, he sat himself down at the right hand of the throne of God himself forever. Jesus himself proves this passage that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life because it's a guarantee from God that although death will come to all of us, our tent will one day collapse. We will experience the great upgrade if we believe. If we follow Jesus, if we love Jesus, we will go from death, not just back to life, back to our normal life. No, we will upgrade. We will ascend with Jesus back to the kingdom of God where we belong, where God has designed us to be. And Paul is saying that is the great upgrade. We're in this tent now. We're groaning. We're burdened. We want to get off this ride, but it's not about suicide. It's about life. It's about greater, longer lasting, richer, more profound, more abundant life. If you remember this passage from 1 Corinthians 15, I like the King James Version here. It says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Why does he say that? Because it's been taken away. The sting has been removed. The grave has been nullified. Life has conquered death. If you remember the prophecy about our Lord Jesus Christ, he said the serpent would bite his heel but he would crush his head. When Jesus rose from the tomb and came out of the grave and lived again, what was mortal was swallowed up by life. And he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Death has no sting for those in Jesus Christ. The grave has no victory for those in Jesus Christ because we will experience the great upgrade. And that's what we're all so thankful about Pastor Mark. We're sad. We're sad in our souls. And that's okay. That's honest. That's a reality. But we're thankful, are we not? We're grateful. We're hope-filled. And why is that? It's because of this promise from God that Pastor Mark is going to upgrade. And so the writer, Paul, says this. He says, we are always of good courage. While we're in our tent, we're of good courage because that we know that while we are at home in the body, our tent... We are away from the Lord. We understand we are not where we should be. We all get it. We all understand that we're not where we belong. We're here in our tent instead of with our Lord, and we understand that we're here for a purpose. 
And we'll come back to that purpose here in a little bit. But we don't walk by faith. Or we don't walk by sight, excuse me. We walk by faith. I've never seen heaven. Neither of you. I've never seen the glory of God. Neither have you. And yet, I believe it with every fiber of my being. Because Christ Jesus has given me that sight. Christ Jesus has allowed me to see his glory, his salvation, his beauty, his promises up close. And therefore, even though I've never seen my home, I'm homesick for it. Are you? Aren't you homesick for heaven? Aren't you even a little envious of Pastor Mark at this moment, if we're honest? Because Pastor Mark, unless something changes, is going to experience the great upgrade. And we're going to be left here in our tents. But that's okay because we're here for a reason. And therefore, Paul says we're of good courage. Because it takes courage to live in a tent. It does. It takes courage to live in a tent when there's a building available to you. It takes courage to live in a frail, fragile environment when you could be somewhere way more comfortable and secure. And Paul is stating the obvious. We would rather be away from the body. We'd rather be away from our tent and at home with the Lord. Isn't that obvious? That's obvious. No one wants to really be here long term. And the more you grow up in Christ and the more you follow Christ, the more you've grown and are burdened that way for, for heaven, for Christ's presence. And Paul is saying, therefore, we need courage. C.S. Lewis said this once. He says, it takes courage to live through suffering and it takes honesty to observe it. And I think he's right. When I'm facing suffering and trials here in this life, I'm basically having the same thought I had on that Max Air ride. I want off this ride. I want out of here. Lord, make it stop. Make the pain stop. Make the discomfort go away. Make the attacks go away. Take me somewhere where I belong. And that's when the Lord says to me, Todd, take courage. Take courage. You're here on purpose. You're here for a reason. It's not permanent. It's not eternal. But I've put you here for a reason, and therefore, Paul says, we need courage. So this is how he closes the passage. He says, whether we are at home in our building or away in our tent, we have the the same basic bottom line, whether we're here on earth or with God in heaven. We make it our aim to please him. And who's him? That's right. The one who created us. The one who sustained us. The one who died for us. The one who rose again. The one who ascended back to the Father. The one who right now is nourishing us with his word. The one who's protecting us from the evil one. Whether we're at home in our building one day with God, we will still make it our aim to please him. Or, as we're still in our tents here upon the earth, we have one bottom line. Please Jesus. And I didn't know Mark, Pastor Mark, as well as some of you did. I didn't know him as long as some of you did. But I was able to say one thing very, very confidently. Pastor Mark lived to please Jesus. Ever since I'd known him, that's one thing been abundantly clear. Mark did not live for Mark's comforts or his glory. He lived for the glory of the one who created him, the one who sustains him, the one who died for him, the one who rose again, the one who nourished him, the one who protected him. 
And so Paul says, remember this upgrade is coming. We will one day all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's going to be an equalizer. And death is that equalizer, isn't it? Death makes all of us equal. We will all be born. We will all die. But we will not all upgrade, will we? Only those who have faith in Jesus Christ, who take this life, this tent, this time we live in this earth, and give it to him. If you remember, Jesus said that. He says, those who seek to save their lives, what's actually going to happen to their lives? They're going to lose it. And those who forfeit their lives for Christ's sake will actually find it. When those who are living in this tent, even though we are groaning, even though we are burdened, we're taking courage today because we're basically saying, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it for me to live in this tent, in this time, in this place, for his glory, for his honor, for his service, is worth it. And it's not the final chapter because one day, all of us will experience the great upgrade. We will go from our flimsy, fragile tent to an eternal building, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And therefore, we need courage. We need courage to take that tent, put it in the ground, and say, I will live on. I will keep going. And that's why I believe we're doing what we're doing here today. Instead of pausing to talk about what's the elephant in the room, what's on all of our minds, we're pressing on. And why are we pressing on? Because that's what Pastor Mark and Cynthia have done for the last 13 years. They pressed forward. They kept going. They put their stake of their tent in the ground. They lined up behind their Lord Jesus, and they said, let's go. And therefore, we're going to continue to go that same direction. Not because we love our tent. Not because it's comfortable here. Not because we think this is a permanent situation, because it's not. And we're thankful that it's not. But because we're here on purpose. Going back to the beginning of the passage, we know that if our tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, and that if is really when, it's coming. There's a clock on all of us. And unfortunately, that clock is ticking. The more we live, the more birthdays we have, the clock continues to tick and tick and tick. Now, for most people, that's a sad state of affairs because all they're doing is really staring into the reality that one day their tent will collapse and they'll lose everything because they live in a tent. But not for Christ followers. Not for Christ followers. The more time ticks on, the more we get closer to this reality, the closer we get to our great upgrade. If you notice on most tombstones, you'll find something similar on a lot of them. They'll have the year they were born and they'll have the year that they were died. And every single time that I've seen one of these, in the middle there's a little... That's a really bad... I'm going to leave that alone. There's a little dash. Do you see that? That dash represents your life. That dash represents what you did from the moment you started living in your tent to the moment your tent collapsed. That little dash represents something really profound. It represents your legacy. It represents you. It represents your choices. It represents everything that you wanted out of this life. That little dash is what you leave on this earth. And Pastor Mark is going to leave a mighty, mighty powerful dash for all of us, and myself included, that I'm so thankful for. And yes, tents will collapse. But here's the bottom line for all of us. How then shall we live? 
Is it better to secure a tent and make it pretty and act like it's not going to fall down one day and, and boast about our tent and glory in the fact that we have a tent? No. That's not what Paul would do. That's not what Pastor Mark did. So whether we are at home, in our building, or away in our tent, we make it our aim to please him, Jesus, our life giver, our life sustainer. He is worthy of my courage. He is worthy of my obedience. He is worthy of my service and my worship and my praise and my exaltation for the rest of my life. In fact, I'll go further, for the rest of my eternity. Is he worthy of yours? He was worthy of Pastor Mark's. I sought him every single day I was with him. In fact, every time I tried to honor Pastor Mark, he would deflect it to Jesus. It was a little annoying, if I was honest. <laughs> Absorb some of this, man. And every single time, he said, give it to Christ. Because Pastor Mark believed that. Whether I'm at home or away, I make it my aim to please him. This life is not about us, people. It's not about happiness. It's not about riches. It's not about comfort. It's not about making friends. It's about Jesus, our life giver, our life sustainer, the one who nourishes us, the one who protects us, the one who provides for us. And I had a really roundabout way to learn that. I wish I would have learned that years before I did. I didn't learn that until I was 26 years old. And at age five, I said I believed in him and I followed him. For 20 years, I was living for myself, trying to secure my tent, trying to make my tent pretty, trying to boast in the fact of how great my tent is. And that's when this passage came to me and said, Oh, Todd, one day your tent's going to collapse. One day your tent's going to collapse. And then what? And then what? Will you only have a tent? Or do you boast in the fact that you have a building? And if you have a building and you're here in a tent, why are you here in a tent, Todd? Is this your permanent dwelling place? Is this what it's all about? Or are you here on a mission? I've put all of you, Christ would say, on a mission. A mission on this earth, on this tent, for this time, for a reason, to please me, to please Jesus. And I want to encourage Crossroads Church to carry that torch that has been laid here for 13 years and beyond and to keep that torch going. That whether we're at home in our body, excuse me, in our building, or away in our tent, Crossroads Church makes it our aim to please Jesus. Because Jesus is sufficient. And so is his word. And I hope you believe that. I really do. Because we're going to build upon that foundation here at Crossroads Church. We're not going to do a lot of add-ons, okay? We're going to keep building the same way over and over and over. Jesus and the Bible. Jesus and the Bible. Jesus and the Bible. Until one day there's a glorious, magnificent tower in front of us that only God himself could have built. Is Jesus enough for you? Is his word enough for you? I hope it is. Because you're not going to be happy here otherwise. Because we're going to build upon Jesus and his word, and we're going to do it over and over and over. And next week, we're going to talk about the last piece of that puzzle. The sufficiency of God's grace, which we're all in desperate need of every single moment of our lives. We'll talk about the sufficiency next week. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I know that we're all dealing with complex emotions right now, but I want you to be encouraged and inspired that the great upgrade is coming. 
And for Pastor Mark, our brother, our dear brother, it might be happening sooner than later. But I'm a little envious, if I'm, if I'm honest, that he gets to go to his building while we remain here in this tent. But if we've learned anything, we're here on purpose. And we're going to continue to build this tower until Christ calls us home. Because one day the upgrade is coming. And right now and then, it's all about Jesus. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, I thank you for this message from the Word of God. It's powerful and we've only touched the surface today. But I thank you for the great upgrade. The promise that you've given us. That we're not here permanently. We were never meant to be here permanently. We were meant to be here on mission. This is a journey, Father. It, it calls us aliens and strangers in the scriptures. This isn't our home. We're foreigners. We don't belong here. We belong in the kingdom of heaven with our God, and one day we will see our Lord. Our faith will turn into sight, and we'll, let, we'll lock eyes with our Lord Jesus Christ, and we will say, it's worth it. It was worth it. Every struggle, every trial, every suffering, every heartache I faced for that king was worth it. And I know Pastor Mark has said that and will continue to say that. It's worth it. Father, help Crossroads Church, help all of us to understand that Jesus is worthy of us living in this tent for this time, for his purposes, whatever those look like. Show us what they are. Guide us, protect us, nourish us, and sustain us. And more importantly, Father, help us to build upon the foundation of Jesus at this church, and we thank you for the privilege. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.